Welcome in to another edition of the First Draft Podcast. And some people are saying that it is now the NFL's offseason. No, 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 no. It is actually Kuiper and McShay season, baby, as all eyes are now on the 2021 NFL Draft. Mel Kuiper and Todd McShay. Mel, start with you. How's everything going post-Super Bowl? Really good, really good. Plenty of time to look at players. We have those super seniors, guys, that are going back that we thought would be in this draft. So we ended up studying all these players back in last August for this year's draft, thinking they would definitely be in it. And then with the year being not counting, they're able to go back. And some of these kids made wise decisions. And I think these super seniors we'll be looking at next year, we're all ready to evaluate heavily, but will not be part of this draft process. You're kind of adjusting on the fly now. And the, I have all my quarterbacks, I'm crossing guys off that aren't even in this draft, which you thought would be. So a lot of like adjustments being made in season where we never had this much of change this late in the process in terms of draft eligible players. Another way that it's a different year. And Todd, you're looking well-rested. I don't think you've been on a plane for the first time in like oh, 26 weeks. That's got to feel good. It does, except Camby, our producer, gave me a call the other day and said, hey, Trevor Lawrence is getting shoulder surgery on his, on his non-throwing shoulder, his left shoulder. We got, we got to send you down to Clemson this week. He's, he moved his pro day to, to this Friday. So uh, I'm getting back on a plane for the first time. But, man, it has been nice to be home and watching tape right here. You can see I'm – I studied my tape right there at this desk and, and just grinding away in the quarterbacks and the top prospects. And then I'll start going by, you know, position by position for the next couple of months, hopefully get to about 400 prospects because we have 133, I think Mel official underclassmen. I think 93 of those guys were, were true underclassmen. And, and there are a bunch of other guys that were, you know, that graduated. So technically not um, underclassmen, but still are guys that could have gone back for another year that are opting into this year's draft. We're going to talk about uh, Trevor Lawrence, by the way, in just a little bit. As coming up on today's show, Todd's mock draft. For those that are listening to the show right after it has gone up live, which is around Tuesday, 4 p.m. Eastern time, the mock draft will not be up in its entirety until about 11.30 Eastern time on Tuesday night. If you're listening to this on Wednesday, Go check it out now on ESPN+. Plus. There won't be much mystery at the top, but we're going to look at the first eight picks. But I wanted to start today's show by looking backwards a little bit. The Super Bowl, obviously the pinnacle of the sports and the game that some 92 million people watched on Sunday around the globe. Uh, guys, I, I don't really have any more words for Tom Brady, so I don't really know that we need to belabor this <laughs> that much. But Todd, I'll talk, start with you. Like if, as we look at this game through the prism of the draft and maybe how it shaped these respective rosters. Is there a primary takeaway or two that you might have uh, after Sunday's game? I think Tampa Bay, you know, Brady's the MVP and, and I get it. What he's done is spectacular, but to me, the biggest takeaway watching this game on Sunday was the trenches. Tampa Bay dominated in the trenches. And part of it, if, if we're being honest, is the fact that Kansas City was without its two starting offensive tackles. And that, that really threw things off for, for Pat Mahomes, who wasn't 100% as well with that, the foot injury. But you look at this, the offensive line, first of all, for, for Tampa Bay and what they were able to do. And they, they drafted four of their five starters in the first three rounds. And they all, you know, you look at it, you know, Wirfs, they, they brought in as a first-round pick. And then they nailed it on small school guys. I mean, how often do you hear – Division three players, Ali Marpet from Hobart in the second round, Alex Kappa from Humboldt State 
in the third round. And so bringing in both of those guards from small school spots and developing the other guys on the outside, four of those five starters they drafted in the first three rounds. And then on the flip side, the front six that they played with, outside of Shaq Barrett, who was undrafted, the other guys were all former first rounds at one point. Defensive tackle, you've got Indomitian Sue, who came in in a trade. You've got um, you, you've got Vita Vea, yeah. who they drafted in the first round. Jason Pierre-Paul in the first round. And then their linebackers, who were so critical in this game in coverage especially. Uh, Devin White was a first-round first pick. And, uh, and Levante David was a second-round pick. So they've invested in the first three rounds in that offensive, and de- offensive line and defensive front six. And it paid off this year, throughout the year, and especially in the Super Bowl. Mel, I always think about how important it is to nail your premium picks. If you're going to be drafting in the top 10, you can't wind up with a player that's not with your franchise for a prolonged period of time and playing at a high level. But when I think about the Bucks roster, I also think that if you were to do batting averages for GMs around the league, specifically over the past four to five years, I was just looking at this and I didn't have a chance to comb through every pick over the past four to five years. But it feels like Jason Light and his staff had a high batting average of players that, as Todd mentioned, they weren't all first-round picks, but guys that at the minimum contributed and at the maximum were star players. You got the guys at the top of the draft like a Devin White, but also guys who emerged as key starters like a Carlton Davis amongst others. It feels like the depth of the draft can be a gateway to unlock your ability to acquire and pay premium players elsewhere. Yeah, I think they did a great job putting this roster together. Leonard Fournette added the way he was. Think about the first game this year and Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah, minimal production. Obviously, was a huge performer here. And you just think about Todd Bowles. And I think what Todd Bowles did defensively, you learn more after losing than you do again after winning. And they lost that game back on, on Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, they came back and made the adjustments, took away deep shots, uh, didn't allow Tyreek Hill, who beat him for a 75, a 44, and a 20-yard touchdown reception in the first game, did virtually nothing. He averaged, what, you know, 20.7 yards to catch in that first meeting, second meeting, uh, hardly anything. So I think uh, the ability to frustrate Patrick Mahomes and not allow the deep shots, and he admitted after the game, he said he should have been more patient. That's been the issue with young quarterbacks, you know, that don't take the, the dink and dunk. Don't take what's available, but want to kind of force it. And they were taking that away. So give Todd Bowles a lot of credit. And the offensive line for Tampa Bay, Tristan Wirfs was a rocket right tackle all year uh, in this game. One sack versus Brady, two quarterback hits. The first main they had a sack, but they had eight quarterback hits. So they adjusted in terms of their blocking in this game as well. Todd mentioned in the trenches, they got it done. Great job there. So uh, you never hit the delete button after a bad loss. I think Kansas City will learn from this, uh, obviously, as Tampa Bay did after that first loss to Kansas City. So I think uh, and Patrick Mahomes says he's going to be motivated more than ever. Josh Allen said that after he lost uh, in the uh, – AFC championship game, they'll be more motivated than ever. So it's going to be great to see a lot of quarterbacks going in that have already done a lot with still a lot more to prove. Yeah, hey, I, I, I got to ask you real quickly. Sure. The best part about the Zoom and the video doing this podcast is we can see the Kuiper rock, right? Kuiper, <laughs> are you in a regular chair or are you in yes, one of your rocks? It doesn't rock. No. Okay. I create rock. Worried about shows. that chair. <laughs> they, that's why they break. They're not meant to be standing up this kind of punishment. You know? Yeah, but yeah, I've noticed Mel's got pretty, some pretty sweet decor uh, in the Kuiper compound. No surprise at all to see that. Uh, I think that what happens after the Super Bowl every year as we use the champion as the blueprint of how to build your roster and we use the runner-up and say, wow, look at these holes this team has. Mm-hmm. I'm not willing to go there in either case because 
I think the Bucks have shown that there are multiple ways to build a roster. It's some teams are built because of a singularly, you know, I think the chief strength of their roster is, is certainly Patrick Mahomes. He alone builds in a floor of let's say 10 wins per year. Whereas with the Bucks, it was the quarterback was the missing piece. The roster was already really good prior to Tom Brady's arrival. And as for the Chiefs, guys, I know a lot of people are saying, wow, the offensive line, what a glaring issue that is for them. Todd mentioned two players that are banged up. And oh, by the, in their two starting offensive tackles, Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz, both very good players, both who expected to be back next year. Fisher has a long road to recovery with an Achilles tear. But this team prior to Sunday had lost two games in 456 days. And one of those games was a week 17 loss to the Chargers where basically every key starter sat out the game. The Chiefs are going to be fine. They'll be back. We're not going to talk as much about them mock draft season because they're not picking until 31 for Kansas City and 32 for Tampa Bay, of course. But we do want to spin it to Mel, excuse me, to Todd's mock draft 2.0. And this is just a tidbit of it. The full thing will be available Tuesday night around 1130 or so on TV first, an exclusive reveal on SVP's show. Um, but we're going to go through the first eight picks. And an important note here, Todd, you have decided, and I, I know you and Mel agreed to this on a previous episode, it's time, baby. Trades are allowed. You have been authorized to move picks. How much of that impact and change the exercise for you? Well, we're, we're just talking about the top eight here. I, I wound up in the first round alone just having two, two trades. Right. And we, we're probably likely to see more. But I, I felt kind of good about the direction of these two trades specifically. Uh, and we'll, we'll mention one of them. And that's with, with the number three overall pick when we get to it. But it, it definitely with the quarterbacks being as they are this year. And, I, and I'll say this, Trevor Lawrence to me is number one in a clear, clear number one. Then there's a little bit of a gap. And then it's Zach Wilson, the BYU quarterback. And then there's a little bit of a gap after that. And I think that's probably different than some people think because we've talked about Justin Fields from Ohio State possibly being the number two quarterback for a long time. Maybe it's Trevor one, Fields two. Um, in my opinion, it's Wilson two behind Lawrence. And then again, a gap between the next two in Trey Lance from uh, North Dakota State and then Justin Fields from Ohio State. So those four quarterbacks are in that order for me. I know it's different throughout the league. I, Kuiper might have it different in his rankings, but I finished my quarterback evaluations just based purely on tape. And at this point, that's kind of how I see the, those top four going. Mel, anything you want to add about the fact that Todd is already maneuvering these trades, just two in the first round, but this is one of the rules. Mel, you're, you're kind of the, uh, the godfather of these rules here. You're okay. You're on board with the trades taking place in early yeah, February. Yeah. Uh, Phil, the big problem I had with Todd on this one, this latest uh, you know, three-minute discussion <laughs> there, was the fact that he's already made final decisions. And I think this will be a year to hold off on your etched in stone final decisions on quarterbacks or anything. I didn't say there. final decision. I said, well, you I, said I'm this is the way it's going to be. You talked in finality. I, I, I'm, I'm more hesitant this year than ever. I'm, I'm still looking at a lot of players. The, the Fields games against Indiana Northwestern, I didn't have a lot of a. You know, how do you really factor in? You go back to two years ago, Fields looked phenomenal. Lance played one game this year. You have to go back to 2019. Think about 15 of the 17 games Trey Lance started. He threw 23 or, he, 23 pass attempts or fewer. So you got to really study that. It was more of his legs in a lot of those games. So you have to make decisions on these quarterbacks. It takes more time. We haven't had pro days yet. We don't even have accurate measurables on a lot of these players that are in the draft. So I think let's – I'm going to be hesitant. I'm going to not talk like I've finalized any ratings yet, Todd. I think this is still fluid for me. Come it's a good April way for you 1st, to hedge your bets. I okay, got it. Come April 1st, you know, think about it. 
you know, that's when you really want to have this thing locked in. But we still have some time to go before that actually has to happen. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better with the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country. There's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yeah, we got a long ways to go. And let's get right into this draft. The first eight picks of uh, Todd's 2.0. Again, trades have been authorized in this pick. And again, there's no mystery at pick number one. It's Trevor Lawrence. I just wanted to note as... Uh, Todd mentioned at the beginning of the show, Trevor Lawrence is going to have a pro day at Clemson on February 12th, which is this upcoming Friday. People uh, were wondering why this was allowed because this year, the NFL, due to COVID, has eliminated private workouts as a safety measure. For anybody that maybe is just sort of in the weeds on this kind of stuff and wondering what happened here, Clemson has set up two separate pro days. So one is a Trevor Lawrence-specific pro day this Friday, February 12th. Their other pro day for all draft-eligible prospects is March 12th. So that sort of speaks to the impact of Trevor Lawrence on the program. So no mystery that he's going first, Todd. The only question I had is, I mean, the, I, think, I guess the answer, I guess the answer is, in, is, is in the fact that he went number one overall. What, if anything, does this – non-throwing shoulder surgery mean for Trevor Lawrence's future? I don't think it's an issue. I really don't. I mean, he's been durable throughout his career. He's shown toughness. He's battled through games where he hasn't had his fastball and he's had to be the runner and, and compete. And he's shown the ability to, to play with, you know, nicks and bruises and, and all sorts of other injuries. So I, I don't think this is a big issue at all. I think they're just, they're being smart for Trevor and for his future and by moving this up a month, you now can move surgery up a month. And so he'll be done with the process, essentially, you know, after this Friday. And that allows him to get the surgery and time to recover and time to be there for, for you know, rookie mini camps and all, this, all the other responsibilities that he will have to, to, to go through as a Jacksonville Jaguar. I mean, Urban Meyer, let's face it, Urban Meyer took this job because he knew Trevor Lawrence was going to be the guy. And that he, that, this is a once in a, maybe a decade type of opportunity to bring in this kind of talent. So I don't think Urban Meyer has any thought of or concern about this non-throwing shoulder injury. And I don't think anyone in that Jaguar staff will, 
will be worried about. Obviously, they'll, they'll monitor it, but my guess is it will be a, a normal surgery. He'll recover and he'll be ready to go when, when the team asks him to be ready to go when we get in the spring. Mel, I'm kind of wondering whether any other teams besides the Jaguars show up on Friday. Like, isn't that just wasting their time and a, a few hundred <laughs> bucks on a flight to Clemson, South Carolina? For all intents and purposes, guys, he's a Jacksonville Jaguar. So this is all about them and him making sure moving forward, everything's done in the proper manner, timely fashion to get him ready to go. Uh, no, there's no much to do about nothing. But for the Jaguars, it's getting Trevor Lawrence where he needs to be physically so he's ready to roll uh, for training camp and moving forward as the centerpiece of this football team. Uh, so Todd goes from Jacksonville to the Jets. Another quarterback comes off the board. In this case, it's Zach Wilson. Todd, I'll let you go in a second here. But Mel, uh, we've had this conversation on this show specifically about whether the Jets would be better served to build around Sam Darnold and all the potential starters they could acquire or whether they should go all in for Deshaun Watson by trading several picks. This is Dorsey, which is to not trade for Deshaun Watson, but to take a quarterback. Your thoughts on Zach Wilson as a prospect overall and maybe how he stands uh, compared to Sam Darnold coming out and Sam Darnold at this moment. I had a higher grade on Sam that I'm probably, well, I'm saying probably because I haven't finalized these ratings yet, but it looked like where Sam was, Zach may not be able to get to that point. I'm talking about when they came out of college and Todd can speak yep. to where he had these guys rated. I don't think Zach's grade is going to be where, where Sam's was. To Zach, Zach had the great year. There's no question he improved by leaps and bounds in terms of taking care of the football, sensing pressure, doing things for just from a ball security standpoint that had been an issue. Uh, obviously, his arm talent's undeniable, his accuracy, all of that. He has all that. Uh, the cupcake schedule, we have talked about it, you know, forever now this year, you know, going back to each game and trying to scrutinize him even against Coastal Carolina where he was good, not great. But I think Zach deserves to be up there in the top five, no question about it. I guess I have not finalized whether it's going to be Fields or Wilson as my second highest rated quarterback behind Trevor. Uh, I will say this. I think if the Jets do take a quarterback here in Zach Wilson, you're sending a message to Sam saying, okay, we're going to let you guys go at it. But you're not hoping Sam. And you're not helping Zach. You're saying, okay, we got two guys. We're not really sure about Sam. If Sam is the guy, we have Zach, then we can make a trade. But you haven't helped the football team get better. And you've lost out on those three receivers that are all big time at the top of that board. And you haven't helped the offensive line. And I don't like Todd's other pick, which you'll see coming up tonight, late round, midnight, Todd. I don't like that other second-round pick. That's Jets, fine. Because that's not well, that's more short-term than long-term. So I got a problem with both your picks for the Jets, Todd. Good. I like, I like that. that. That means they're probably right. Very confident as usual, but we'll see. Yeah, what it, what it came down to, Mel, is this. Okay. This is more about Zach Wilson being the number two overall pick than it is necessarily about the Jets. The Jets, they, they're they not making phone calls and, and, and trying to sell Sam Darnold right now. They're fielding phone calls. Mm. And so if, if Wilson goes number two to the Jets, it will only be because the Jets were able to move Sam Darnold. And so then question. they get more draft capital. Maybe it's a third round pick this year and a first next year, whatever that would be. They already have two first round picks this year and two first round picks next year. They have additional picks on day two. So they are loaded with draft picks in the first three rounds this year and next year. If you can get more picks to get to move Sam Darnold, then I think Wilson becomes the pick at number two. If not, my guess is, and having not talked to Joe Douglas, the general manager about this specifically, but my guess is if they decide, Hey, we can't get a, a, a fair trade deal to move Darnold out of town. Then what you do is you sit at two and maybe you, you take a, a team like Carolina who's sitting at number eight and is desperate to move up to get their guy at quarterback. 
and then you move back to number eight and get even more picks. They're Can trying to build this organization in the next two go years. Back, go back to the Jets and their evaluation of Sam Darnold, because that speaks to your evaluation of Sam Darnold. This obviously wasn't a pick of this, this head coach and the GM, but yep. I had Sam Darnold right behind Josh Allen. I think you had Sam ahead of Josh. You had him as your number I one did right in front of Josh. When you look at yep. Sam's grade coming out. Well, Sam's grade when he came out, where will Zach Wilson's grade stack up against Sam? I've got an, I had a 94 on Sam Darnold and a 93 on Zach Wilson. So Darnold was better coming out of school, but slightly. It's not a huge difference. But you also have to remember, he's been beaten up. You have to wonder about his confidence level. The situation in New York just has not been good for him. He hasn't had weapons. His offensive line has not been great for the majority of his career there. And the other most important part of this is the money. Sam Darnold is going to be owed a lot more money moving forward in the next couple of years and versus what you have to spend on, on Zach Wilson and the cap hit. So if you can get additional draft picks, take a lot of cap money away from that quarterback spot and bring in a quarterback who's somewhat similar in terms of the grade coming out of school, knowing that it, this is going to be a two, three year rebuild with all these picks that they have this year and next year, it starts to make sense from a big, big picture standpoint. Yeah, but you got to believe in your quarterbacks. If you believe in Sam Darnold, I, I get it. I'm not saying that. I, that. I'm and not what are you going to get for Sam in terms? You mentioned a trade. If you're trading Sam, what are you going to get a second round draft choice? Maybe a late one. Who knows what you're going to get for Sam? If Jets are going to yeah, do I'm that, maybe a then third you're, you're dealing third for weakness, not year. strength. If you're going to try to trade him, I'm thinking like a third or fourth this year, and either a one or a two next year. And you yeah. add that with all the other picks that they have. You think a team's going to give up a one next year? for Sam Darnold and a pick this yeah. year? Really? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. It'll be really interesting to see what he gets to. Yeah, that was some hesitance there, Mel. What, I, I get it, though. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a steep price to pay for a player that I understand the circumstances around him have been far from – it's not like he's playing with what Pat, – and Patrick Mahomes is incredible. But Patrick Mahomes obviously has great coaching and infrastructure around him. Mahomes, let me be clear, best quarterback – uh, in the game along with Tom Brady. So not trying to, and, and a couple others, obviously, but Mahomes is, is, is an amazing, but circumstances do help a quarterback's growth. And Sam Darnold's have not been great in New York. I'm on record now. Like if I'm the jets, I'm making a quarterback pivot for all the factors that Todd just laid out, but it reminds us why the draft really begins at pick number two. And the trade started pick three for you, Todd, is you have the Panthers, moving up from pick eight to pick three with the Miami Dolphins. And the acquisition will be something along the line of pick number eight, the Panthers second round pick this year and the Panthers first round pick in 2022 to Miami for the eight uh, in exchange for the third overall pick, which would lead us to Trey Lance, which is very interesting that he goes ahead of Justin Fields in this scenario. How strongly do you feel about Trey Lance being the superior prospect? I don't have, I've, basically identical grades on, on fields okay. and, and Lance. I, I really do. And, and it's, it's almost nitpicking because they're, they're both, they have sturdy builds. They're strong. They're yeah. mobile. They have big arms. They can create and extend. I think we've seen more in terms of accuracy from, um, from fields, but Lance to me is, has played in an offense where he's had to create more and do different things. I think he processes quicker, meaning mm. He goes from his first read to his second read and can see the whole field a little bit more, whereas Fields concerns me when I study it in terms of that aspect of the game. Ryan Day is such a good coach, the head coach for Ohio State, and what he's been able to do is put his quarterback, Justin Fields, in great situations where you know, if the one, if the one read isn't open, it's a quick two-read or take off and run. 
but Fields loves to see his receiver get open. He wants to see him open versus the anticipation that I see in Lance and some of the throws that he makes. So again, I think they're both very comparable. I have identical grades on them. I could see Fields being the number three quarterback taken. I do not think he's going to be the second quarterback taken anymore after really studying all of the tape on all these guys. But to me, it's Lance and Fields is that number three, four. And Carolina, the more important point here, Carolina is desperate for a quarterback, a difference maker. I talked to Matt Rule. I talked to their defensive coordinator. I talked to another assistant coach on the staff. They all have the same message. We lost eight games last year by one score. We need a guy that can come in and, and, have, and make that drive in the fourth quarter. We need a guy that can, can lead us on the game-winning drive. If we win four or five of those eight games, we're the playoffs. And instead, you know, we, we have a five-win season. So to me, after talking to that coaching staff, and, and Mac Jones was great, the Alabama quarterback at the Senior Bowl, and I, I'm sure that they really like him. But when you compare him to some of the other guys in the top four, there are more there are more creators and ability to extend plays and difference makers that Carolina is desperate for. And they think that they have the roster pretty much in place to be a playoff team if they can get a quarterback upgrade over Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, and Mel, as we look to pick four, which I'll just mention only because it's uncommon to see this happen, Justin Fields goes fourth overall to the Atlanta Falcons here, which would be a homecoming of sorts for Justin Fields, who, of course, played his first college season at the University of Georgia. And I, I, I apologize if this has happened recently, but it's been a long time, if not ever, since the draft started with four consecutive quarterbacks. But I think it underscores what we're seeing around the league right now is that regardless of what the rest of your roster looks like, a quarterback that is talented enough to be a franchise building block, especially on a rookie contract, is the superior asset in roster building uh, could you see it starting four straight quarterbacks this year? Could be. I, I just want to go back to three real quick, Field. That's the most <laughs> fascinating player in the draft probably wow. in a long time is Trey Lance. Wow. Because of the circumstances you had to deal with with COVID, only one football game they played. And if you go back to that game, whether it was rusty or pressing, he did not throw the ball well. He was 15-30 against Central Arkansas with his first interception of his career. Todd, talk about process. You're playing one double-A competition, a lot of routes they were involved in in 2019, superior football team to the opposition at the one double-A level. As I said, it was 15-17 starts. He threw the ball 23 times or fewer. He had five games in 2019 at 56-5 or less in terms of completion percentage. This is an wow. ultimate leap of faith on talent. If you're taking Trey Lynch and you're giving up all that to go up from eight to three to get him, if you're Carolina, I get it. You're in a division with Atlanta. Matt Ryan can't be there forever. Tampa Bay, Brady, we're not going to be there forever. New Orleans is still figuring out Winston or Jason Hill. So I get you on finding the quarterback (laughs) you feel the most strongly about. I understand that completely. If it's Trey Lance, great. Do it. But Trey Lance is, to me, the most difficult and the most fascinating player to evaluate since I've really probably been doing this and I've been doing it for 43 years. So, uh, you know, that's going to be a fun. I'm still looking at him from 2019 and the game this year to make a final determination to four on field. The hometown thing puts a lot of pressure on a quarterback coming in, you know, from that area to play for that team, replacing Matt Ryan. But I would understand them looking at a quarterback. Now, some argue it's a lot of money if you have Ryan and the quarterback. And to go back to Lance, Lance is going to have to sit, Todd, I, I don't know how you feel. I think Lance, he's got I – mean, all these quarterbacks play right away, but he's got to sit for a year or two. Mm-hmm. He's 20 years of age. He doesn't turn 21 until early May. 
He's arguably the youngest player in this draft. I haven't checked them all, but he's going to be one of the youngest, only 20 years of age right now. Like I say, he turns 21 on May 9th. So to me, he's got to sit, watch, and learn. You have Teddy Bridgewater to be kind of that. We say that, that every that year, though, to, to Trey Lance if you go that route. We say yeah. that every year about these quarterbacks. He's got to sit, and then, and then you know, four games. You know, there's I no way Tua Tagovailoa is going to play after, after the hip injury, and then all of a sudden he's a starter because right. he's practicing well. So, I mean, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll see how it plays out. I, I will say this, though. At four, I really struggled because Atlanta, they need a future quarterback. But if Matt Ryan can play at a, a relatively high level for the next couple of years and you don't have to take that cap hit and move on mm-hmm. from him, then – then maybe they don't go the quarterback route there. And now we lost Detroit as a team that needs a a quarterback. And the other teams, you're talking about New England at 15. I don't see Bill Belichick packaging picks and going up to get one of the the third or fourth best quarterback in this draft. Uh, And then you're talking uh, Chicago at 20, I think. Indianapolis at 21. That's a massive move to move up, you know, somewhere in the top five or seven, eight picks from 20 and 21. So – I, it's going to be interesting to see where Carson Wentz goes. If he goes to Indianapolis, then Chicago now has got to figure out what they want to do. Does Sam Darnold get moved from New York to one of these other teams? Does Jimmy Garoppolo, the 49ers are sitting at 12. Do they move on from Garoppolo? Does he wind up going back to New England or to another team? So there, there's so much veteran quarterback movement still to happen that it's hard to project these teams. And the teams that we're talking about outside that top eight, you're talking 12, Sam Fran, 20, Chicago, 21 Indianapolis, 15 obviously with New England. So those teams are so far back that it's going to take a massive move to get into the top 10 to get one of these top four QBs. A closing thought before we move to pick five, where we end the quarterback run for the Falcons, is they're in this weird spot is that if you are an advocate of not drafting your quarterback, the cream of the crop in this class doesn't align with their needs, right? They're invested in two offensive tackles and Jake Matthews and Caleb McGarry, a first round pick just a couple of years ago. And they've already got a ton of wide receivers, right? They, wide receiver is not a major need for them. So Penny Sewell probably isn't going to be the pick at number four. And you're not going to use a first round pick on a wide receiver with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley already on the roster. So it's an interesting sort of blend for them. Maybe they're a prime trade. Down. I think Atlanta, I think Atlanta wants to move out of four. I think yeah, in a perfect trade down. Way. Yep, I think a trade yeah, down. They, they would like to move out of four because of all the the reasons you just stated, and this year's group in terms of talent on the defensive side is not as as good as what we see at quarterback and wide receiver and offensive line. I thought about putting Patrick Sertan, the top corner coming out of Alabama, at number four to them. They took a corner last year and uh, AJ Terrell in the first round as well, but. Sertan too high, way too high. Yeah, agreed. That seems to be I mean, right. I think, exactly. I think, I think Caleb Farley will be right there. So Caleb Farley, will be he he, uh, he could be too. I it could be so one and one. Right we got Farley on a slight edge now, and I didn't find out right now. Farley has a slight edge over Sertan. Yeah, I, based I, on I, I can live with that. Wide receiver had a great year in 2019, then opted out. Uh, I think that's way too high to take a corner. So if I'm Atlanta, I would trade out of there from that taking a quarterback. I'm not taking a yep. cornerback that high at number four. And just moving along here, before we get to the three wide receivers, which is a little bit less of a compelling conversation, just quickly, Todd, to pick five, and Mel, you as well, is that I was saying maybe Atlanta's needs don't blend with the players that are available. The Bengals need a left tackle or a right tackle in the worst way. And if Panay Sewell falls to them at pick five, seems like a no-brainer. So, Todd, I'll start with you on the fit. And I want to ask Mel one thing about the narrow or narrowing gap between Penny Sewell and Rashawn Slater. But this would be 
a match made in heaven to land this position, Todd. Yeah, Sewell, Sewell's longer. He has longer arms. And, and when he was playing at Oregon after opting out this past year, I mean, he was absolutely dominant. He was dominant in pass protection. Very, I, I think I read a statistic. He never, there was never a game he played in where he allowed more than two pressures in a single game. I mean, he, this guy is what you want protecting your Joe Burrow, who you used the number one overall pick with uh, last year. But Rashawn Slater is a heck of a football player too. And, and the more I watch him, the more I like him. And I, I kind of I debated with myself, and I still have more tape to watch. But Slater is light on his feet. He doesn't have the, the, the long arms that you look for. And I actually projected him maybe inside a guard or, or center. But the more I watch, he's just so athletic. And I, I, these are the two top offensive linemen. It could go Slater-Sewell or Sewell-Slater, but they're going to be the top two offensive linemen. I've got them both going in the top 15. I could easily see both of these, these guys coming off the board in the top 10. Yeah, Mel, it's not your job to form opinions for other people. You have, your, you have your own opinions, but it does seem like there is at least some chatter within the scouting community that maybe the gap between these two players is not as great as it maybe once was perceived to be, that Sewell is no doubt head and shoulders above Rashawn Slater. Do you think it's close, or do you think that maybe, like, you know, 100 times out of 100, you should be taking Penny Sewell over Rashawn Slater? Well, Phil, once in a while, Trey, uh, Todd does listen to me. He does listen to me. Uh, yeah, yeah. Not all the time, but once in a while he does. And I talked about this, I think, when our first podcast. I said, Todd, after Mach 1.0, if you have Rashawn Slater going at five, is that where you had him? No, I, I have Slater going a little bit later. But I, I said at Mach 1.0. Um, I may have. Yeah, because I had Stuhl coming off the board at number two at to two. the Jets. Yep. All right. I know more about his mocks field than he does. But anyway, that's a but, but in terms of <laughs> I, I said I said, Todd, if you have Slater going at five, don't put OG or don't put OL. It better be OT. It better be left tackle, right tackle. Remember that conversation, Todd, we had with Field about that? I'm, You're not I'm, I'm sure Slater we did, Mel. In the top ten. We've never been wrong before. Because, you can say, well, Quentin Nelson went to the Colts, right? Great pick. He was a guard. Rashawn Slater was a right tackle, left tackle at Northwestern. That's where, and I mentioned Brad Hopkins long before you guys were probably born. I don't know when it was, what year, but Brad Hopkins was a heck of a player in the National Football League out of Illinois. He played left tackle at 6'3 and uh, didn't have the length. So Slater, I think, could be that left tackle, right tackle. If you're drafting him, in my opinion, that high, or saying ahead of Penny Sewell, then yeah. And both were opt-outs. I think Sewell, to answer your question, I think Sewell, to me, is ahead of Slater. And I do like Slater, but I like him as a left tackle, right tackle. This guard stuff to me is nonsense. If you're going to project him to guard, you're taking him maybe mid to late first round. You're not taking him that high. If you uh, look, Mel, I've got him at tackle, but I've got him at tackle. He can kick inside if you need it, but I've got him at tackle. Yeah, okay, good. Uh, so, Finally so made that call. Good deal. There we go. Uh, so I just want to run through these last three picks in wide receiver <laughs> just quickly because I want to ask you guys about Carson Wentz after that to wrap up the show. Uh, no surprise who the first two wide receivers are off the board. Uh, Todd has Jamar Chase going sixth to the Eagles, then Devontae Smith going seventh to the Lions, and then Jalen Waddle going eighth to the Dolphins. Uh, I don't really, really don't want to belabor the Jamar Chase versus Devontae Smith debate. It sort of feels like six in one hand, a half dozen yep. in the other. It's really, I mean, it's, it's the narrowest of gaps between those two players, if there even is a gap. But what I want to ask you, Todd, is so six, seven, eight, makes you feel like Jalen Waddell is close to those other two players. How close is he? Is that because is he the eight, is he going eight because, you know, he's one of the eight best players in the draft or because you really wanted to get the Dolphins a wide receiver, but you'd already moved him down the board once and you couldn't bring him further down the board from pick eight. 
No, I, I would have no problem assuming the medical is okay coming off the injury. And, and I'm, I'm certain it will be, you know, based off yeah. of all the information. Uh, Waddle to me is not that far away from these other two. Jamar mm-hmm. Chase has the best traits of the group. Right. Devontae Smith had the best season of maybe any wide receiver in the history of college football, especially yeah. when, when Waddle went down and what he did stepping up. And he's the, he and Waddle are ultimate competitors. I love, there's nothing more fun. I, I, in terms of being on the sideline of games than watching these two chirp at each other and stay on each other and compete with each other throughout a game and sitting on the back of the bench, yelling at each other to, Hey, you should have had that catch or Why didn't you run this route? The checks and balances that they had and what they're going to bring to a wide receiver room in the NFL is to me invaluable. I mean, they just love the game. They have so much passion for the game and they're just true competitors. So Waddle is not the consistent route runner. He doesn't have the natural feel necessarily that Devontae Smith has, and he doesn't have the traits that Jamar Chase has. But neither of those guys can do what he can do with the ball in his hands after the catch or in reverses or just, you know, as an offensive weapon. He is unique. He has been the last couple of years in college football, the most special player with the ball in his hands in the entire country. So I think he belongs in the top 10 somewhere. If he doesn't go eight to Miami, which would be great, Kevin Tuatonga Bailo getting one of his former wide receivers, plus getting additional picks to move back from, from number three to number eight, I would work out perfectly for the Dolphins. But long short, they're all a little bit different, but I all think that all three belong in the top 10. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Yeah, it's going to be, I mean, Mel, I, I don't know that anybody should be crying foul if they take Jalen Waddle with one of the first 10 picks. As if we had had this conversation six months ago, some may have suggested he'd be the first Alabama prospect, regardless of position, off the board this year. I want to wrap things up by asking you guys about Carson Wentz. And Mel, I'll start with you. Uh, It's possible by the time this show is even available to listen to, Carson Wentz has been traded. It might be (laughs) longer than that. Who knows at this point? But it feels like it's just a matter of time. My question to you is this, is like put your uh, your mind or put yourself into the mind of a GM. He's radioactive right now. No fan wants to acquire Carson Wentz because 2020 was just brutal. I mean, in terms of turnovers and carelessness and – all the things you don't want to see from a quarterback, Carson showed them in spades. But how difficult is it for you, Mel, to separate 2020 from what we saw in 2017 and then again in 2020 and 2018 to a degree as well when it's not like the Eagles just gratuitously gave him a contract extension worth $33 million a year. They did it because – he had become the centerpiece of a roster that was going to the playoffs every single season. How much do you believe in Carson Wentz right now? You know, the only reason we're having this discussion is because he didn't play to that level. Or if he did, he wouldn't be available for the Colts or somebody to trade for. 
I think you go back, there were moving pieces. There were a lot of talent around him that was injured. There's a lot of coaches that weren't there, things that affected Carson Wentz. We were having a discussion about Wentz a couple of years ago, saying the only thing he needed to do was be less reckless with his body, right? Remember, he's diving in the end zone. for the, Hey, that's all he needed to do. Well, now it's beyond that because he didn't have anything around him in Philadelphia. And things went awry and frustration sets in, issues come up. So I think you're avail- he's available to teams in a trade because of that. And that's why you look back and say, if I'm a fan, I want that. Because I wouldn't be even thinking about Carson Wentz. He wouldn't be in the discussion if it wasn't for the kind of year he had. And by the way, to go back to eight, Todd, real quick, I don't think Waddle necessarily is there at eight. And I think Miami's taking a big risk if they move down there. And I'm with you on Waddle being right there with Chase and Smith. So, But back to Wentz, I think Wentz uh, you know, now probably traded. The Colts, we talked about with Stafford, they need that set piece coming in ready to go not the rookie but a guy like like rivers was that's ready for this roster that's a winning roster ready to go maybe to a super bowl that's what chris ballard has built that's what's available now for the quarterback that comes in would make sense for wentz to go there uh but for philadelphia boy you better have a lot of faith in Jalen hurts moving forward if you do that yeah Yeah. the other thing is i've heard reports who knows what's true at this point but i've heard reports (laughs) that they want a stafford like deal to move wentz that's not going to happen you know, but I think the Colts now, you have Frank Reich, who has a history with Wentz. They think that they can get, get him back on track to be that same guy that he was in, in 2017 and, and playing at that high level. you got a, a pretty good roster that Chris Ballard, the general manager, has, has developed over the last couple of years where you can plug him in and, and you got a legitimate chance to make a run at this thing. So uh, to me, it makes sense because of, of, of Frank Reich and, and the fact that they need a quarterback to pull it all together. Uh, but I don't think that they're going to wind up giving away, uh, you know, three first round draft picks. I think it's going to be closer to maybe, a, you know, a, a, maybe two ones when it's all said and done. But I, 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 my guess is from everything I'm kind of hearing, they're in negotiations now. And there are other teams involved like the Bears we've heard as well. But, uh, but the most likely spot to me is Indianapolis. Now, going back to what Mel said, Jalen Hurts, are, are you getting an upgrade here? I mean, he completed 52%. In four games he started, he threw three interceptions. He threw four interceptions over the season. I know the stats are similar when you look, you know, when you look at Wentz and Jalen Hurts over this past year. I, I just don't know that you're getting a huge upgrade with right. Hurts. And I, I just wonder if, if Philly is comfortable moving Wentz and not bringing in another quarterback for competition or as a backup or, or you know, something that, that kind of gives you a better sense of what's going to be at that quarterback spot moving forward. Because I personally, if I was the general manager of the Philadelphia Eagles, I would not feel comfortable going into the season saying Hertz is the guy. He's going to take us to the promised land. We believe in him a hundred percent. We don't even need to bring in another guy. I thought, I think people are probably overlooking the fact that trading away Carson Wentz does not mean the Eagles are unquestionably starting Jalen Hurts going into the season. I think you're right. As a matter of fact, if he goes to Chicago, and maybe this is me just being sort of uh, naive and looking for a good story, wouldn't you say if you're Philly, hey, we'll take Nick Foles back in the deal, right? If that's going to make the package work a little bit more. But the motivation to trade Carson Wentz strikes me more about maybe the fact that he's just not a fit there anymore at the organization, some scar tissue, and then also the finances, right? He may not be... Uh, Jalen Hurts may not be an upgrade on Carson Wentz. He may be, but he may, it's, it's, let's say it's maybe it's 80% likely, but not a hundred percent likely, but he is unquestionably way cheaper than Carson Wentz over the next four to five seasons. So you have a chance to solidify, or maybe I should say sort of 
settle some of your cap issues that the Eagles have. They have, you know, sort of not gone all in, but they've been heavy handed with their salary cap for 2021. That's a good point. And everybody, by the way, no one predicted COVID-19. So a lot of teams are dealing with the fallout of that. Now, let me, I want to ask you this to close because we talked about Indy and I think the motivation is obvious, the reunion of, of Frank Reich. Mm-hmm. One point that I want to make and then one question is that the price tag is going to be more expensive than you would think Carson Wentz's value was based off how he played. But this is the rub that teams like Indy and Chicago and Washington and the Patriots are all facing. They're not picking high enough in the draft where they have the ability to land a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance or a non-Trevor Lawrence surefire starter. And free agency, it's not like it's going to come cheap to acquire a high caliber, you know, starting quarterback. You're going to have to pay big. So if you are Chicago and you're Matt Nagy and GM Ryan Pace, and I think fairly we can say that they need to win this year or else we can expect change next off season. Is Carson Wentz the player that you would be looking to hit your wagon to after canvassing what else might be available this off season? Yeah. One of the options that's out there and Todd mentioned Sam Darnold's another one possibly, but certainly now Wentz is a focal point with Stafford being traded to the Rams. And this is all because of Andrew Luck in Indianapolis. It was Andrew Luck's team. Then it became Phillip Rivers. He retires. Now they're looking for that other quarterback to step in because they're NFL ready to win. And when I say NFL ready, some teams aren't ready to win and they are. So I think the bears feel like that as well. Now they need some help in certain positions to upgrade that roster, but uh, I'm with you on that. I'm a Wentz fan. I like the way he competes, like everything about him, everything got, kind of was broken in Philadelphia. And if some team like Chicago or Indianapolis can benefit from that, because guess what, guys? If he wasn't broken in Philadelphia, he wouldn't be available right now to those teams. Yeah, yeah I, I just think that oftentimes we – and maybe I'm overreacting too much to a story like Ryan Tannehill, but we see players reach a downward slope and we assume that that's the end for those players where I believe that maybe there are some around the NFL that admire Carson Wentz enough, not based off of last year, but based off years prior to that, that if you're Frank Reich or Chris Ballard, for example, in Indy, you may say, you know what, let's take him, let's acquire him and let's build this thing up around him. They believe they can resuscitate the value a little bit. It'll be a very interesting, uh, maybe a few weeks, maybe a few days ahead on the Carson Wentz front is, as we mentioned, it could happen at any moment. A reminder before we say goodbye, Todd's mock draft is coming out in its entirety on Wednesday, February 10th. You can catch the first eight picks in TV form later on tonight, I believe, on SVP show on SportsCenter. And Mel's big board is getting an updated ranks uh, for updated big board and also updated positional ranks. Do us a favor and please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast, which drops every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Until next week, I'm Field, Mel, Todd. Have a great week. Todd, I hate to say that you're traveling, but safe travels down to Clemson.